Uh, let's get started. Today's date is November fifth, fifth, two thousand fourteen, and we're here at Sally Kirkland's studio, and uh, with the Skippy Low interview. Now, how is your name to be written on the credits? Best Actress, Oscar nominee, Golden Globe winner, Sally Kirkland. Love it. Okay. And uh, do you give us permission to use this video? Yes. Let's skip it. Okay, great. All right. Let's start with the beginning. When did you first learn or meet Skippy Lowe? Um, well, I came out here in the early 70s to do the sting in the way we were. And I was living with Shelley Winters over on um, Oakhurst. And um, she would take me to, um, you know, the place in Hollywood. Uh, starts with S. Famous drugstore. Sh Schwab's. Schwab's. She would take me to Schwab's. And um, Skippy was always there socializing. And I thought he was a, a woman because he had this voice and this mannerisms and the hair. And I thought I was talking to this older, certainly older than me, woman. It took me the longest time to figure out that it wasn't a woman, that it was Skippy who was an effeminate man. And Shelley and he were best friends, and so I inherited Skippy through Shelley, who was my godmother, in the sense that she adopted me when I was 18, and I lived with her in New York, I lived with her out here. She mentored me for my whole career. And if I'm any good at all, it's thank you, Shelley Winters. And, um, Skippy became part of our family because of the two of them being so close. And so whenever he would have her on his public access TV show, she would say, Sally, you come along. And so suddenly I was a fixture, and this is the 70s, the early middle 70s, um, with his TV shows. And then as I got to know him more, he would have me on by myself, even when Shelley couldn't be there. And one thing that always sticks out in my mind is I'm, I'm very kind of manic depressive. That's what makes me a good actor, I think, because I can do a whole range of emotions. Um, whenever I was depressed, I'd call him up, I'd say, Skippy, can I be on your show? Which is my way of expressing myself and my talent, hopefully, when they weren't hiring me for films or television or theater. And he would always say yes. And it was sort of like going to the psychiatrist because he would sit there very close. Sally, tell me. And I would suddenly go on a journey with him that I had no idea where it was going to take me. But I would always manage to pop out of this depression, you know, if that were the case, and feel like I had just given a presentation, a performance, with Skippy being the producer, director, you know, entrepreneur. So that took me pretty much all through the 70s. In the, in the 70s, I was mostly doing television, um, having done The Sting the way we were, Stars Born, Private Benjamin, then it was pretty much all Aaron Spelling. And then we get to the 80s, and um, I was doing a lot of independent films, and Skippy was still putting me on his shows. Um, I have no idea where these tapes are. I never was bright enough to ask for a copy, but he had me during every chapter of my life. And by the time it got to be the late 80s and I was the Best Actress Oscar nominee, um, I used his show a lot to get votes. You know, I would say, here I am, Sally Kirkland, the Skippy is endorsing me to tell all of you, all of his friends to vote for me if you're an Academy member or a SAG member. Ironically, now I'm doing it again with another film called Archaeology of a Woman, fingers crossed. And Skippy would always act like he really loved my talent and he really loved me. And so 
I know that that wasn't true for everybody. He was very choosy on the people he loved, and he, he could be very critical if he didn't like somebody. So I was so relieved that he never in any way criticized me. He was always, he might make fun of me, oh, Mary, you know, but for the most part, he never criticized me through, through the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000, whatever, what are we now, 2014. And so I'm very grateful that he helped my campaign and I forgot to mention I got the Independent Spirit Award, which was only the third year they were doing that. And Skippy was like a huge cheerleader for my work. And, um, and, and, that, and then he would invite me to his birthday parties and to all of the dinners at the Cafe Roma or whatever restaurant he was hanging out at. Oh, Sally. And then, of course, he would call me up. Would you, would you like to come? And would you pick me up? <laughs> he never drove. You know, He'd either walk to Beverly Hills or he would talk someone like me into escorting him and driving him, which was fine for me. I didn't mind that. He, he lived around the corner from me. Um, I live on Havenhurst. He lived on Crescent Heights. And he had been living there for decades and decades the same building where Marilyn Monroe lived with Shelley Winters. And, um, and so, then we, I'm jumping to the 90s. Uh, the late 80s, early 90s, I was an A-list movie star. William Morris getting six, what do you call it, over, over 150,000 a picture. Became a millionaire in 1989. Stayed a millionaire until 1993. Didn't invest my money as properly as I could have. But he took advantage of that. He let me bring him as my date to whatever was going on. And I was shooting Revenge with Kevin Costner and JFK and Cold Feet with Tom Waits. And he was letting me do clips and things or talk about this on his shows. And um, of course, Anna is the one I won all the awards for. And he just loved it. He would get very earnest and very, you know, with his sincerity about how great this performance was, and I would do my accent. My name is Anna Dokova. I come from Prague, Czechoslovakia. What you want? I don't want to talk about my personal life. And he would let me do all of this stuff on his show, so it was my showcase. And sometime in the 90s, I think it was, he said, Sally, you should have your own show. And first, one part of me thought to myself, oh no, my agents would never let me do public access. And the other part of me thought, hmm, I could say or do anything I wanted on my own show, my own 28 minutes. And so he took me by the hand and took me to the Hollywood venue, to the Beverly Hills venue, to West Hollywood, where I'm on my 10th year now of having a show, and I won an award last year for, for being the most, um, what's the word? I can't remember the word, but it meant that my show was live the most in the year. And in fact, I have a show tonight with a singer. And so it's, I sort of copied Skippy. You could say he was a role model for me with, with putting on a show, whether it was with actors or singers or s friends of mine who share my spiritual path or painters or poets or, you know, musicians. And unlike Skippy, I never keep any of the uh, tapes. I give them all to the artist who's my guest. I could get them if I really tried hard, but he, of course, collected this what, over 500 tapes, hundreds and hundreds of tapes, starting with Orson Welles and Betty Davis and Shelley and whatnot. And who can say that he'd done that but Skippy, you know? So um, I learned a lot from him. You know, I, I, tr I, I didn't copy him in the style. You know, Skippy would be right next to the camera. The camera had to be here. And God forbid if you didn't like the lighting or the, you know, on you, because you're the guest and this is about Skippy. And the close-up, and uh, I don't do that. I <laughs> I get a little bit back, and I check the lighting on the monitor, and say, "Oh, I can see my double chin. I don't want to see my double chin." And 
Uh, but he gave me that. This is like a Skippy Lowe present to Sally. At one point, I had four shows going a week, and I was still doing my filming, my actress bit. But I love producing, and I have these two teachers, John Roger, who just passed over last week, the week before last, and John Wharton, and I would have them come on the show, and suddenly you'd have instant spirituality, you know, right on my little Sally Kirkland and friends. And, um, and then he would have them come on his show. And then, you know, we would have Lee Taylor Young, who's also a minister like I am in the movement of spiritual inner awareness. And, um, and so he pretty much tracked my whole career starting the 70s right through this year. I don't know the last show I did because he got ill and he was in the hospital with pneumonia. And then he was out and we, we kind of didn't do any shows this year. I had two hospitalizations. One I broke my foot and the other I got knee replacements. So we've seen each other but we haven't really done the Skippy Sally show together. And a couple of times he wanted to be on my show and I would pick him up and bring him to San Vicente for the West Hollywood venue. and. Um, and I would interview him, and he would love it if I would interview him about his books. And so I would pick out all the names of the people that talked about him in his books and say, okay, tell me about this person, tell me about Christian Brando, tell me about, you know, and he would just launch off into all these stories, which of course were scandalous. I mean, what fun to sit and listen to Skippy's gossip, you know. I mean, he wouldn't say it's gossip, he would say every single word happened. And who am I to say I wasn't there? But I did meet a lot of people through Skippy. I think I said that the night of the memorial. I met Jackie Stallone, who became my astrologer for a while and dear friend. I met Christian Brando. I met this guy that he would talk about all the time who was Christian's best friend. I can't think of his name. He passed over at quite a young age. But I remember having a one-night stand in Skippy's apartment with this gorgeous guy that he introduced me to. We just said, Skippy, will you get lost? <laughs> so there was this multimedia career I had with Skippy, you know, it, it encompassed everything, my professional life, my personal life, my friends, you know, my little circle of friends that I could call at two in the morning and say I'm mentally suicidal, and he would laugh at me and talk to me, you know. I don't get mentally suicidal very often, but occasionally, you know, I'm an actor and you get rejected enough, and then you call Skippy and say, we got to do a show tomorrow. <laughs> and um, I must say, you know, he was a brilliant man, brilliant, and he cared so much about people with talent, and he wanted so to pull talent out of people, and, and as an acting teacher, I'm similar in a different way. I've been doing 35 years of coaching everyone from Sandra Bullock to Liza Minnelli, Barbara Streisand, and um, more recently Kathy Griffin and whatnot, and he would just get the talented person on the show and just be a fan you know, and, and make you feel so great about whatever it is you were performing. And uh, I probably learned some of that from him about being an entrepreneur and presenting talent, not only, you know, at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute, but here in this apartment and on his show and on my show. And um, it, it, he was amazing to have as a friend in your corner because he would immediately turn you on to a whole world of his friends. And... Um, I didn't know that he was dying, but I got a hunch when he was hospitalized and I hadn't heard about it from any of his friends that he didn't want people to know that he was sick. And I can't remember who told me, but I called Mamie Van Doren and I said, Mamie, I hear that Skippy's in the hospital somewhere. And she said, oh my God. And so we both kind of nosed around and I can't remember how we found out that he had pneumonia in the hospital. And, and I said, Skippy, is Sally, are you okay? And he said, oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm just here for a few days more and made light of it. 
And so, you know, time passed. And when I heard that he was moving into assisted living, and I thought, oh my God, that's the end of an era. Because he was in this building on Crescent Heights since the 60s, 50s, I don't know. I met him in the 70s and he was there. So all these decades, he's living around the corner and suddenly he's not living there. He's in assisted living somewhere. And I just got this feeling, the way you get, like if Skippy can give up his total independence, he must have something going on with him, which, which I hear was illness, you know. Um, but it's interesting, he didn't want to burden anybody with that. He just always was Skippy standing tall and proud. And I'm so glad that he didn't suffer a lot because I understand my friend Alan Eichler was talking to him at 5.30 and then um, Susie, is that her name, Susie, was with him like an hour later and found him with the sheet over his head passed away. So, I mean, when I die, I hope it's as painless as that. You know, he, he demonstrated how to have such a full life right up to the end. I mean, there were a few months where he had the walker. I'd see him in West Hollywood with the walker, and I'd say, oh, poor Skippy. Little did I know I was going to end up with a walker with, you know, my foot and my knee. So, you know, judge not, yes, lest ye be judged. Um, but he had so much energy, and it always amazed me that he walked everywhere. And West Hollywood, actually, you can do that because it's kind of like New York. But I don't do it. I drive everywhere. I kept thinking, here's this guy considerably older than me. Why aren't I out there walking around? I mean, Skippy just had this extraordinary energy about him where he just did everything himself and got himself places. And then he would call up all of these incredibly fashionable, well-to-do ladies who would invite him to dinner at the most chic restaurants. And all of his meals would be paid, including I'd pay for him at the Silver Spoon when the Silver Spoon was there on the corner. Oh, and the Silver Spoon. He would get into arguments with the waiters and the managers, and he would get, what do you call it, thrown out. He wouldn't be able to come back to the Silver Spoon, and then somehow he'd be back. And then he would be in an argument again and screaming, you know, everyone at the restaurant could hear. And then he would be never allowed to come back. And then he would say, well, who goes to the Silver Spoon now? I mean, who would go to the Silver Spoon? And I feel guilty that I still went to the Silver Spoon. You know, so he was he was a handful. You know, now I know I'm a handful. So we are both handfuls. Shelley was a handful. So we were all handfuls. But we loved each other. And when Shelley was getting sick, and I don't remember what year this was. I'm very bad flunk mathematics. But how long has Shelley been dead? Uh, six or seven years or something? I don't know. When, when she was really, she was in her 80s and she was really, you know, not feeling well. But she, in a funny way, like Skippy, kept to herself and didn't tell people how badly she felt. And suddenly one day he called me up and he said, Shelly is dying or something like that. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, come pick me up. We got to go to her house. So we went to her house. The door was open. We walked in. Skippy walked in and said, Shelly, Shelly, it's Skip. And Sally's here. And there was Shelly and the, the heat, the, what do you call it, the, the heater in the room was like a hundred and something. It was so hot. And of course, Shelly always liked to have the room warm. And I thought, oh my God, she's gonna kill herself just from the heat alone. So we turned off the heat and Shelly was crying and she was saying they wouldn't let her see Jerry. That there was a, what do you call it? When someone has an order, a restraining order over her boyfriend, Jerry. And I assume that that had to do with family and doctors or whatever, but I don't know all the specifics. I just said, Oh, okay, you want to see Jerry? Okay, I'll do that. So I found her Jerry, and Jerry, who had a restraining order, snuck into the house and was with Shelley, and suddenly she wasn't 
sick anymore, you know, and they would sit and watch all of Shelley's movies on TV. Now, Skippy did that. I didn't do that. She may have just wasted away, but she said that that was a turning point when Skippy and I barged into her house and said, okay, we're doing an intervention here. You know, do you want to live? You want to live with Jerry? Okay. So, so Skippy and I became with a woman named Stephanie Herkos, her kind of caretakers for the last years of her life, meaning that we would spend our time with her, making sure she wasn't alone or she had her care or her nurse or, you know, the nurse maid there. And, um, he just adored Shelley and he would do anything to help her right up till the end and I was the goddaughter and she was my godmom and so in a funny way Skippy gave me a side of Shelley that I didn't know back when I knew her as a kid in New York and it was a very vulnerable side and um, and I got to be with her right up until she died and I got to do last rites and as a minister and I did a spiritual wedding with her and Jerry, even though it wasn't legal, right before she passed over. So Skippy, in a way, gave me that whole uh, caretaking relationship because he was the one, the founder there, just about with nobody around to help. So now you're in heaven, Skippy, and I'm sure you're having a party. My spiritual teacher, John Rogers, with you. All those amazing people that you talked about. You're all together. Hmm. And um, it's interesting not having his energy around West Hollywood because you, he could be seen anywhere walking down the street on Santa Monica Boulevard or uh, Crescent Heights, always getting his lottery tickets right on the corner there, the liquor store on Santa Monica and Hayenhurst. Um, you know, lugging his tapes around inviting me to something. So do you have any questions? Skip, the man on the go. Yeah, I know. Skip, did you ever see Skip in one of his, in one of his, uh, his angry moods? Yeah. Like I, like I, like I started to talk about the fights at the Silver Spoon restaurant. They were huge diva fights, Skippy being the diva. Um, and uh, without naming names, there were certain waiters who it would just be war and when he passed over it was sort of like oh well he's passed over it's sort of like they, they weren't about to show up at the memorial <laughs> yeah. um, he had a temper um, he had a, a what do you call it like like quick fire temper short like, fuse short fuse oh my god and that's what I was alluding to before I, I tried very hard not to in any way inflame that because I knew how it could turn on me. And as I got to know him over the years, I was always the calming energy in his life, the one that would bring spiritual people to him. Peace, peace, peace. Om Namah Shivaya. Yeah. Yeah, he seemed to calm down a lot the older he got. Yeah. Yeah. I had him in the studio because I produced a lot of his shows and I have a lot of the shows you did from uh -huh. Beverly Hills. Cool, I'd love to see them sometime. Absolutely, they'll end up in the documentary. But uh, at one point, I don't remember why, it was one of the kids behind the camera saying something or doing something, it just 
triggered something and boy he got out of his seat he was still wired, was he, was wired so, right. he was so angry he forgot about the microphone and started pushing cameras out of the way oh my god and just raising hell for it's us it's funny you say that because I walked off his show once because he said something I thought was insulting to me and I forgot the wires were on me and I stormed I think Shelly was still there and I stormed off and uh, Sally and Skippy said Sally the show's not over I said I don't care you just insulted me <laughs> So yeah, we all have our dramatic moments, yeah. Oh yeah, Skip, but there's something about Skip that you just loved. I mean, I, the moment I, I met him in the 80s, but then I ended up becoming his producer of all those shows, uh-huh. and uh, you know, he'd call me. I still have about 20 phone calls that I haven't listened to from Skip. He'd call uh-huh. me all the time because he needed the studio. Right. And. Um, of course, he had to get the copies on DVD. Right. This all came from me. He turned me on to all those places, by the way. Right. You know, where to get the DVDs, the cheapest, you know, and and where to get the duplication. All of that he taught me. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. You were, you there was were, a place down in Santa Monica in Hollywood that he would send me to. Oh, right. my God. Yeah. But he was... Uh, He's such a colorful character. Yeah. I couldn't, one thing about him was I, I just couldn't believe half his stories. He would make stuff up. Even in an interview, he wanted to know everything. He didn't want to miss out on anything that maybe he should know. And he wouldn't want to be caught not knowing something. I found it really interesting that uh, he knew every place there was to know. And he'd been there. Right. <laughs> really Supposedly, yeah. And he would call me Shelly a lot. I'd say Sally, Skippy, Sally. That's right, Shelly, Sally, you know. It was okay. I don't mind being confused with Shelly. Yeah. Well, he was in love with Shelly. I mean, that's his second word out of everything he ever said was always Shelly Winters. Yeah. Somebody said once that he used to sell stories to the Enquirer. National Enquirer? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think that Shelly was in a couple of those, and I think I might have been in a couple of those. I don't know how much money he made, but I was always careful when I was around him um, not to talk about my love life uh, if it was, you know, well-known person. Yeah, one had to be careful. And even with the books, I said, Skippy, no offense, but I'm not sure I want to be in your books. You know, I mean, I love reading them, but I don't think I want my, my love life. I remember my last conversation about that was at the Grindhouse on Havenhurst between Santa Monica and Melrose. And he was saying, oh, my new book is coming out. And of course, I ended up doing a show, interviewing him about it. And he started telling me some of the stories and Marlon Brando and this and that. And I thought the next question was going to be the way he was talking. There's still time for me to put something about your sex life. And I said, Skippy, please, you know, I don't want my sex life in the book. Um, and then he was cool about it, but he definitely wanted me. In fact, he asked me if I would go to wherever the, the the book signings. He wanted me to show up and introduce him and do a whole thing. And it happened to be times when I had conflicts with other stuff going on, so I couldn't do it for him. But I was honored that he wanted me to be the introducer of the newest book, which is called Hollywood Gamora. Hollywood Gamora, yeah. Um, in retrospect, maybe I would have wished to have been in his books uh, with all those colorful people if there was a way to do it without having to be so sexual, you know. 
did you find any of what he did in terms of selling stories to those magazines? Uh, was that like a betrayal? Um, maybe. I mean, I think Shelley kind of knew about it, you know, and she she let it be. Um, th- there was a story, I think maybe with me and Bob Dylan or something, and I ended up talking to Bob's attorneys and having them talk to the attorneys of whether it was the Globe or the National Enquirer. And I don't think I ever truly knew for sure if Skippy did that, but some friend of mine did it, you know. And um, it, it, it always, when it includes other people, it always gets complicated. You can't just suddenly do that, you know. But at that point, I was at a level of fame where that was happening to me quite a bit. And so I can't blame Skippy for all of that, you know, just happening. Right, you can't be certain of things. You could only, you could only. Uh, but he always needed money, and I would contribute to his uh, bank account. Not a lot, but you know, I would always find some extra money to give him to go buy lottery tickets. Did he ever win a lottery? I don't think so. Yeah. He had that lottery mentality, right? It's yeah. just the next ticket away. The from next ticket hitting. away. Yeah. Um, did you ever find Skip in any depressed modes? Yeah. Yeah. He would call me and he would be, you know, well, he'd be sad about all of his friends who died, but he'd be sad if, if he couldn't get through to somebody he wanted to get through to or he felt like he was paranoid that there was a block set up that he couldn't get through. I think when Christian died, that was a biggie, and this man whose name I can't remember that I had the one-night stand, who was Christian's best friend, he was really sad and depressed about their deaths. And um, I think maybe he was a little bit sad towards the end when he was with the walker and not being as totally independent as he wanted to be, Um, but not so that he would admit it, just my observation. Who do you consider his closest friends? Did you did he ever have a boyfriend or? Well, that's a good question. You know, he always attracted to younger men, um, gorgeous guys, and then we he and I would always kid about how we were both gonna fight over the gorgeous guy in question. And he'd be sitting at the Silver Spoon with some gorgeous guy, and I would walk by and say, "Sally, I want you to meet such and such, so talented." And Sally, of course, will help you get an agent. <laughs> And then in my mind, it would be sort of like, now, are you in love, Skippy? You know, could be. I don't know. I, he never really, you know, talked about a boyfriend. One just knew that he had all of these glamorous affairs over the years from his books and his stories, you know. But no, I, I didn't know him to have a boyfriend. Wouldn't it be interesting to have a, a true documentary, like a book on all of uh, Skippy's escapades? Right. Yeah, it would be. You heard about the German, the German guy he knew. He always spoke about a German uh, affair he had when he was Gosh, doing shows. I don't shows. remember. Yeah, somebody when he was doing his a- ASO, USO, USO, right? But uh, Skip. Now, did you know he was Jewish? Yeah. When did yeah. you learn that he was Jewish? Well, Shelley was Jewish. You know, they would both talk about it back in the day. Sammy LaBelle. Did you ever see him perform? Not in the conventional sense, but sometimes when I saw him host, he would slip on the stand-up comedy. I can't, if you ask me which venue, I don't know. It was way back. 
how would you sum up Skip's life? Was was he a uh, even before you sum it up? Would you say Skip was auditioning his whole life? Yeah, that's a good observation. And when Martin Short took on his persona, I can't remember the name of the persona. Uh, Jiminy Glick. Jiminy Glick. Oh, Skippy was furious initially. Furious. I think he called the LA Times. You know, he he um, he wanted everybody to know that he was being ripped off. That that was him. That was this personality he had built for years and years and years. And and I said, well, Skippy, maybe it's good publicity for you, because maybe people that never heard of you before will get intrigued. And of course, eventually, Martin Short owned up that it was Skippy. But in the beginning, he didn't. And I felt bad for Skippy, because I thought, God, if anybody did Sally Kirkland that way, I would be furious. Wait, I'm here. I'm here. You know, and there was a lot of warrior in him to protect his legacy, you know. But I remember how pissed off he was. Oh, my God, was he pissed off when that initially started happening. Because I guess it wasn't Skip in the light he wanted to be shown in. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's a good way to put it. It was making fun of him. Although he knew people made fun of him. He was no dummy. He was very bright, I think, about how he was regarded in the best sense and in the most, you know, challenging. Yeah. Um, he never, I mean, the thing I, I'm, I'm always amazed by is he never gave up. He always thought that his opportunity was just, you know, a, a day away or at this moment. Right. That I think that's what inspired his close-up. That was, uh, you know, look at me. This is time for your close-up. Only, only right. the, only the lead actors get the close-ups. Right. And, and, and yeah. they say, I was here before Charlie Rose. You know. <laughs> that's yeah. Right. That's right. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. Demille. Yeah. Come on, close-up. Skip. Do you have anything, Robbie? I think I've got something. Yeah, um, just did he ever talk to you about his early days when he when he was a boy and the problems that he had growing up? And yes and no. I think I didn't really know all of that till I read his book, The, the Boy with the Betty Grable Legs. But uh, he would refer to his childhood and how uh, mocked he had been, you know. But he would just laugh about it, too, so that he never really wanted you to feel sorry for him. He would just refer to this kind of extraordinary youth he had. And he'd talk a lot about going to visit to cheer up the boys during the war. Very proud of that. Mitzi Gaynor and all those women that he traveled with, you know. That was my next question was about if he ever talked about the USO. Yeah, a lot. He talked a lot about the USO. He was very proud of that. Did he ever say where he went? Yeah, but I can't remember. Because I contacted the USO and I can't find any records. Really? They said they had fires and so they've lost a lot of records. Was it's, in, it's in his book, I think. Yeah, I'm going through it again right now. Uh, was he a religious man at all? Well, not in the conventional sense, but if Shelley had a Jewish holiday celebration, he and I would certainly show up. And like I said, I've been an ordained minister since 1976 and I've always love Skippy for having John Roger and John Morton, the uh, mystical, the mystical travel, the spiritual directors of the Church of the Movement of Spiritual and Awareness on his show a lot. And he would sit there and really listen to these 
guys talk about God. He never once didn't act, to me, from my point of view, act like he was like getting spiritually high off of all of the energy, you know? So in that sense, I think he was quite spiritual. In the sense of going to a church or any kind of establishment, no, I never knew that side of him. You can just pick it up and squeeze it together. Put it back on. You see the cell phone on the table? Oh, it's a soft phone. Squeeze it. I got it. Right. Squeeze the side. Hello? Yeah, it's Sally. Your voice just went out. I'm sorry. Let me. Um, Darn. Call. Can you call um, closer to? Question okay. And um, just went right out of my head. Oh, what did you think of Skip's interviewing style? You know, Sally Kirkland, why? <laughs> Sally Kirkland, where? He always ended his questions with a, you know, with a big giant question mark. Yeah. Why? Um, well, it was Skippy, you know, it was very bigger than life, it was very dramatic. Um, and you definitely felt like you were getting the first degree, you know. He wanted to get in deeper, deeper, deeper. I'm sure I told him all of my life stories in one way or another. I liked his style. I liked it. It was so he was so on board with what was going on. He was so involved in just connecting with yeah. his guests that you knew you were you were across from a real interview. Yeah. And someone yeah. who was really genuinely listening. I could yeah. have had a book by now if I put together all the interviews he did. Yeah. He, he he was generally interested in people, curious about people. And he was always mischievous. Yeah. Have you ever heard him go on a rant, you know, like a political rant, some politician yeah. or some proposition or yeah. something that he was just, all of a sudden he was uh, intoxicated with Yeah. whatever that was, and he yeah. would just go off on Obama or yeah. on Bush. Yeah. Yes, I've heard those rants. He... Um, when he had a statement to make politically or whatnot, um, he would definitely find a way on the show to coerce you into talking about it. And he put words in your mouth and you wouldn't want to go there because maybe you didn't want to get political. But somehow he started talking about it and I, I would say, I think this is what I would say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there, Skippy. <laughs> so sometimes you definitely got railroaded into talking about stuff that, yeah, was, was um, in the news. How was Holly? How was how did Hollywood treat Skip? Do you think? Well, you know, the LA Times did a huge story. You should interview Charles Casillo. He's an amazing writer, and uh, I was in the story quite a bit. And as was the Silver Spoon, and it was two pages on Skippy, or Skippy and the Silver Spoon. But it was a huge layout, and um, I think that the snobs in Hollywood would never quite get the message, but. Everybody that wasn't a snob, I think, said, "Oh, Skippy Lowe. Oh, yeah, I've heard about him." And, you know, the, he developed a, a name for himself. And when he passed over, all sorts of people would see me on the streets and yell out of their cars, "When's the memorial?" And you know, I guess it went on Facebook that I was going to be a, a do a blessing or a ministerial thing. And, I mean, I got phone calls and Facebook messages and and what do you call it, uh, emails. Ah, because he, so many people had him in their lives, you know. 
he was loved by many people and of course that showed up at the memorial seeing everybody from their 30s to their 90s you know what would you say what would you put in the in the last word of skippy the pied piper of entertainment i don't know he was an entertainer first and foremost skip the pied piper one thing sally we've been asking everybody to do is and you did it earlier is a hello mary and a goodbye mary because we want to run them over the end credits okay Hello, Mary. Goodbye, Mary. That's great. Thank you. Cool. Skippy Love. Thank you. Skippy that was love, fantastic. Skippy Love. Skippy Love. Skippy